Hello, Raising Dads, episode two. Here we are. Yeah, we're here. We're back. Are you excited? Hopefully, they're back after they listen to episode one and they're so mesmerized yes. by how skillful, skillful we are. Episode one, then don't pause this now. Just listen no. to this one and then yeah, go back going. to that one later. Yeah, that's fine. How was your day? Uh, my day was good. You know, it's a busy my day. My daughter took a shit in the grass today. Thanks oh. for asking. All right. Well, yeah. I, okay. That's to be expected. I'm glad that your daughter isn't the only one that does that. That was just the your daughter thing until today. And I today know. my daughter takes her pants is taking her pants off. I go, what are you doing? She goes, I have to poop. I have to poop. And I go, go inside. She goes, it's fine. It's fine. And then she's just standing in the yard, le- <laughs> legs spread. <laughs> and I'm like yelling to my wife who's in the kitchen. And she looks at the window squinting. And then her mouth just drops like wide open. <laughs> and she comes running outside going, why are you just sitting there? I'm like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> Uh, let's just put it this way. My daughter got mad at me the other day for throwing away her pee bucket. <laughs> She's like a trucker. That's just, yeah. Dude, your daughter already works for Amazon. <laughs> She's ready to go. She's ready to be She's an fit Amazon for driver. the working conditions. Like, right I now. got this. I got this. <laughs> I feel, I feel a little bad for Amazon drivers, but also what is Amazon supposed to do? Like they have deliveries in like rural counties. Like they can't always go back to the warehouse or whatever. Yeah. I don't even know what they do. I mean, what do you do if you're just out in the lonesome open road delivering what about packages? You? What about you <laughs> delivering packages? That's like the worst porn ever. It's like, ah, oh, I got a package for you, but can I take a shit first? <laughs> That's a category I have never clicked on, <laughs> but it probably exists. I'm sure it exists. It's got to exist. It's got to exist. Have you, uh, you're a firefighter, of course, mm, mm, ha- hands, handsome balls for sure. Definitely not. Uh, do you, have you ever had a time that you were like dropping a deuce and they were like, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> is that what I said? <laughs> ding, ding, ding. I mean, it's not really how it is, but yeah, you know what I mean? I guess you, there's some dings in there. We'll say, but <laughs> <laughs> you've never like had a really bad moment where you're just like, you got to pull up too quickly and then you're doing CPR, but you're, it itches um, a little more than it should. Let's just say that your bowels wait for nobody. All right. <laughs> so there are times where you have to figure it out. Yeah. I could, I know of some things that have happened, but we can't talk about them. They're just too, not for every personal. Two. They're Not too personal. That's, yeah, that's a, that's for the Patreon someday when you yeah. when we have like a, we have more followers. You can pay five bucks a month to hear about every story of Ryan giving someone CPR and then being like, "Which room's the bathroom?" Can I? <laughs> I used to think like uh, you know when like a cop turns their lights on and then like really quickly turns them off. Yeah, I used to was like, "Oh, they're just trying to get home faster." They, no, that guy's got to take a shit. Yeah, man. It's all the coffee and donuts. Yeah. Like that's a diet, right? Like <laughs> maple bars and Starbucks working through your system. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, should we, should we get into the interview? We got to get into it. This I was, think a little bit a rough. This is a rough start episode. It's a hard start, but yeah, you're going to like promise, this interview. It won't be poop jokes every week. No, it won't. Mm-hmm. But I bet you'll find this interview fascinating because even though our first episode was super funny and comical, but we got into some deep stuff. Uh, this on, interview was the, just gotta play the music first. Wait. Oh yeah. Yeah. Today's episode is a really good one. A really good episode. Yeah. We Kara Smith. 
Yeah, Kara Smith. We uh, had a lot of fun in our first episode, and we've talked to some pretty funny people. Um, but I specifically wanted to reach out to Kara because I heard about her actually from listening to a different podcast. And they mentioned uh, some of the work they're doing at deliverfund.org, which is basically an organization that helps find and hunt human traffickers. And she, her name was brought up, and I thought she sounded like a badass. And guess what? She is a badass. Her Instagram name is Kara the Huntress. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, she I'm is scared. the coolest person that uh, I've ever met, the most badass person. I tell her that she terrifies me, and she should. Yeah. Uh, so... This episode is is really sobering. Yeah, really sobering. And there's a 100% chance that she did a background check on both of us before she agreed to come on. <laughs> and if not before, <laughs> definitely after. Definitely after. Uh, so yeah, uh, listen to this episode and I hope you uh, learn something. And... and donate to Deliver Fun. Yes. We're so uh, interested and excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for uh, asking me to come along. Yeah, I, I was telling. It. Yeah, I was telling Adam that uh, after I heard about what you did, I just had to reach out to you. I was super intrigued, and we want to have you know a bunch of different guests from different backgrounds to talk to you on this podcast. You know, so we are really looking forward to it for sure. Very cool. Very cool. I liked your prep questions. So like, <laughs> this is so different than what I usually do. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, I want to do this. <laughs> well, so even to start off with that, I'd like to really go in it kind of in the beginning and talk about what you do and explain to us exactly how, how all of this works. Absolutely. You're the most badass person I've ever read about in my entire life. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> we both decided you were badass. Like I, I was mean, like reading about you, and I got scared. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I've done, <laughs> I've you were going to us ever. I was like, okay. A lot of people get that impression, and I I laugh, but then I actually go back and look through like who I am, what I've done. I'm like, yeah, I would be a little scared of me too. How <laughs> 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 so I get it. So, um. I, my name is Kara Smith, and I work for a nonprofit private intelligence firm called Deliver Fund. We equip, train, and advise law enforcement on how to combat human trafficking um, across the United States using counterterrorism methodologies and using unique data sets and different tools that we have built that we provide those to law enforcement. So they basically have all the tools they need to hunt human traffickers uh, online and build out their cases. Wow. And I, I read that you guys do that for, for free for them also. We do. We That's do. Great. So, you know, law enforcement is extremely um, underfunded, <laughs> undertrained. Yeah. And what the CEO and co-founders of Deliver Fund, which their prior um CIA, prior pararescue, prior Navy SEALs, they're like, you know, there's no real three-letter agency within the United States government that takes care of human trafficking specifically. Hmm. And they're like, so how do we do this? How do we help them out? And in the counterterrorism world, we had all the money and all the tools in the world to fight terrorists. But when it came to human trafficking, um, we figured that on the level of where it's happening in the United States, which is, you know, on the 
local and state levels. It's these detectives in departments across the country are trying to fight this. They were just so ill-equipped. Mm -hmm. And we're like, well, how can we help them? How can we show them how they can fight this at scale and get ahead of the problem and go after the root of the cause, which is the human traffickers, what we focused on. And uh, that's how Deliver Fund was born. And here we are today, several years wow. later, busier than ever. And yeah. sadly, huh? It, it is it is sad, but you know, uh, law enforcement starting to really come around on intelligence-led policing and being very what we call left of boom. So we we don't react to the crime; we get to the crime before it happens. Stop and before so, it happens. Right. Yeah, and so law enforcement is very much you know starting to work on that, and there's some re really really great progress, and there's jurisdictions out there that are just crushing it. Um, and becoming the model for other jurisdictions across the country. Wow. Were yeah. You, well, I hope in a in a very small way, as much as re as much reach as we can get for this, I hope we can just get people to donate. And I know personally, like I, after reading your website and everything, I really want to support what you guys do. Um, and I just really hope we can get more eyes on it because after hearing about what you are doing and what or what the whole organization is doing. It just, it opened, you know, you hear about these stories on the news. It just opened my eyes to how big of a problem this really is. It, it really is. And thank you so much for your generosity and support. I mean, we don't have an organization without generous donors like yourself that mm. um, assist us because, I mean, technology isn't cheap these days. Engineers are expensive yeah. to build out these technologies, right? Um, we, we truly appreciate it. And the big thing, too, though, is with the public, um, in the United States, a lot of people don't know what human trafficking actually looks like in the U.S. When people right. think, they think Blew shipping my mind. containers, yeah. right? When you and on the all the U.S. numbers on the on your website, it was like I was like, yeah. no, this has to be wrong. Like, <laughs> and it's not, and, and yeah. it, unfortunately, it's not. People think shipping containers and Russian brides, and when they hear child trafficking, they think small children in basements that were snatched out of grocery stores, and that's just not how right. it happens. Like. You know, the the preponderance of human trafficking in the United States is within the domestic sex trafficking industry. And, and you know, Americans are being sold by other, other Americans um, online in illicit online ads. You could order up a trafficking victim online like pizza. And um, the thing yeah, is, you I know, read that quote on your website, like as long as you have a cell phone, you can order it just like you can order a pizza. Yeah, it's the technology. Technology has made the criminals industry scalable so you know how do you fight that you fight them with their their own technology right. right if they're going to use cell phones if they're going to use illicit online ads to advertise their victims if they're going to use social media okay that's fine because if you touch the internet we'll find you it's not yeah. that hard to do we have that capability i think that's an issue i have with privacy uh and i know this isn't like necessarily a super popular opinion but like I, uh, I, I see arguments about like Facebook and uh, with your with Apple and iPhones and privacy and what they like protect you from the government listening or hearing in on. And to me, I would like listen to like listen to whatever you want. Like it's don't skip me. It's not interesting. I promise you. Like if I <laughs> arguing about if LeBron James should have got a triple double or not is not what you need to hear. <laughs> but. If there are triggers and pings, like, yeah, I think the government should be able to take those things if it's going to protect people. Yeah. So uh, my background, I was in the Air Force for six years as a intelligence analyst, specifically a SIGINT analyst. Uh, 
I deployed to both Iraq and Afghanistan where I was targeting um, terrorists at that point. I got out. Mm. Um, and when I was still in the military in my transition to when I got out as a civilian, I was working at the NSA. So when it comes to right. privacy and data and spying on Americans, like that's a conversation I've had for years and years. And then I ended up working for the FBI doing counterterrorism watch listing. So, so no so one no wants to date you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nope. There's nobody that can hide anything in their closet. That's for sure. Nope. I'm going on three years of being single. single so. <laughs> It's cool. I'm married to my work. We're good. Um, yeah, <laughs> we're going to get you a date based on this interview. I did not mean to bring up a sore subject. I'm just saying that you can hey, investigate I, anything. I can. And that's the thing, which is it's a problem in the dating life, but it keeps me safe. I'm just going to put sure. that out there. For but, sure, sure. Uh, you know, working for the FBI and doing counterterrorism and, you know, the whole no fly lists and watch listing, I really got to see how legally the government can use technology with the proper warrants, right? Sure. And with the proper um, signed paperwork from judges so nobody's constitutional rights are being infringed on and how it can save lives. And when it comes to human trafficking, it's no different. So the intelligence that Deliver Fund uses is all open source. It's not anything mm -hmm. that um, you guys couldn't find if I didn't teach you how to do it, mm -hmm. Like, right? You can go do it. When it comes to the more deeper stuff, uh, you know, those, those require warrants and those require law enforcement action. And something that Deliver Fund does, we sound really cool. We have the background to kick down those doors. We don't anymore. We're behind a computer doing right. all the nerdy stuff. And then law enforcement are the only ones who can actually take action when it comes to going after a trafficker and rescuing a victim. And we support them in doing that. And when we provide intelligence to them, you know, it gives them the lead, but they still have to do a lot. I mean, a lot of the back end yeah. work to make sure everything's done legally, because the whole goal is to put those traffickers behind bars. And there's a lot of legal steps you have to go through sure. to get them there. Is it is it odd to you how many police agencies don't have a unit dedicated purely to this problem? Yeah. <laughs> because it, I mean, after learning about it, it's, yeah. it's bizarre. I mean, we, how, the amount of money we put into finding drug dealers or people cheating on their taxes or all of these other things, but this hugely personal problem isn't, doesn't have a dedicated team on a lot of places. I guess some agencies do though, right? Some do. Yeah. So where you find most of these human trafficking detectives, you find them in vice units and okay. um, they might have not, they might not have a dedicated unit, but they will have a detective that specializes in human trafficking and will, will work human trafficking cases. Ultimately, though, what we would want is for there to be three to five detectives, you know, per city, per jurisdiction, based on population with analyst mm -hmm. support. Um, I didn't know that they didn't have that support. And so that's, that's one of our goals to, you know, show that the support is needed, that they do need to designate human trafficking detectives. There's some jurisdictions like Houston, Texas has a human trafficking rescue alliance. It is their task force to combat human trafficking. It's made up of 22 different law enforcement agencies, state, federal, and local. So you're thinking county sheriffs, you're thinking local level, the state police, you can go ahead and add HSI, FBI in there, the marshals, all of them. They all work together 
because Houston's huge. It's like mm-hmm. one, I think it's like the fourth largest city right. in the mm-hmm. country. Mm-hmm. And what is really cool is they came through our courses in the very beginning, and I used to embed with them all the time to do um, to do ops with them, and they really bought into the um, you know target centric method of going after the trafficker and using intelligence to build out those cases, working directly with their prosecution, working directly with the DA. And uh, this year they were able to get us a spot on their task force. And we actually have an analyst right now embedded in Houston that works directly with the Human Trafficking Rescue Alliance. And so, uh, you know, giving them that support, getting all that digital work done for them so they can go get those warrants filed so they can go on the operations and knock down those doors it's crazy to think how many people are out there chasing down people who have a dime bag of weed and (laughs) then there's not people dedicated to to this like that's people selling like that freaks me out i can't like uh well it's, it's crazy you've got the dea um you've got ATF, like all of these things yeah. are regulated, mm-hmm. regulated, you know, goods. And like you have full three letter agencies dedicated to fighting and regulating them. But when it comes to human trafficking, which is a huge problem, it's in every city in every state here in this country. And they don't have anybody that's specifically dedicated to mapping out, regulating, communicating between jurisdictions of what's mm. going on. And so it makes it, it makes it really hard. And with human trafficking, it's not just human trafficking. It is never a standalone crime. You will find drug crime. You'll find guns. You'll find gangs. You'll find retail theft. Um, you'll find uh, prescription fraud. Mm. You know, you find all these different crimes that are attached to it. You never find just a trafficker who goes, I only just sell humans. Right. That's the only <laughs> like, thing I do. I'm not yeah. too bad. All I do is I draw sell the humans line of marijuana. Humans. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. How, how many of these people are, do you know, like, is there a percentage that are over the age of 18 that are getting trafficked? So the, the rough numbers of trafficking victims, it's very 50, 50. Um, half of them are minors and half of them are roughly adults when it comes to the victims that are being trafficked. But what you also have to think about in that aspect is many of those that, you know, hit that magic number 18 and became adults, they were being trafficked being before. Trafficked before. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Was there yeah. a time in, in the U.S. that, it, that, that uh, it skyrocketed trafficking or has it been a problem for forever? Trafficking has been around for a really long time, obviously. Um, Selling of other human beings is the very first form of currency in mankind, yeah. right? right? When it comes to human trafficking in the United States, um, the digital age really scaled that. So mm. you had traffickers who could push their victims out on the track, um, you know, the red light district, red light district, or you call it mm-hmm. the blade, make them walk up and down the street, and they'd be able to watch two or three girls at a time, and they would, you know, call them back in, take their money, but when technology took off and you could advertise them online, not only did you not have to be right there with them, but you can do 5, 10, 15, you can manipulate the victims to where you could send them all over the country and they're wiring money back to the trafficker. So they're really able to scale their operations using technology. I mean, 
your iPhone, the very first iPhone uh, was a stronger computer than the computer that sent, uh, sent man the, to the moon. astronauts to the moon. Yeah. Right. So just imagine how much power and ability you have with your phone today. And, you know, trackers usually carry three to four phones on them at one time. So it's yeah. like, it's, it's their business model and it works for them. And while they're doing it, they're destroying lives in the process. So what, before you uh, joined this, this company, what was your prior previous job? Like right, right immediately before. Immediately before I was a stay at home mom for two years. Oh, <laughs> really? I was, I am. Uh, so before that, I was doing watch listing um, with the FBI, the terrorist screening center. And when I had my second child, I couldn't afford childcare in Northern Virginia. Shocker. So um, I decided to take a little time off and raise my humans. Nice. That's amazing. Yeah. Is so, there is there a very personal part of this? whole? I mean, there has to be. But what part of this do you see a lot of these people in your own children? Are you are you doing this to make their world safer to go forward? Do you ever think about that? A little bit. Uh, it's 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 interesting. I'm I compartmentalize my work and my personal life. They're in completely separate compartments. Mm -hmm. um, I look at my children and I will always keep them safe and I want to do everything to keep them safe, obviously, as every mother would. Of course. But uh, I feel like that I'm so invested in my work specifically is because it's the re same reason I've been invested in my work my entire life. I like holding bad people accountable for their actions. Um, and I have a particular skill set that not many people have, and I'm using it to my best of my ability at this moment in time to combat human trafficking. This is like and the opening so to a Jason Bourne movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's way, um, way more badass than Jason yeah, Bourne. That was... Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, no, so I like, I did you have interest in child trafficking before this position came to you? Well, you know what? So my job, how I got it, it's a really interesting story. You know, I was going on to two years of being a stay-at-home mom after having a career for like 10 years, right, in the military mm -hmm. and working privately mm -hmm. um, as a contractor for the government. And my brain was atrophying. I was all like, I, I'm like, how, how many more diapers do I have to change? Do I have <laughs> right. to keep watching kids shows? I'm like, I need to do something with my mind. And um, I made sure my LinkedIn profile was up to date. And um, had moved from the East Coast out into uh, the Southwest region. And I got a cold outreach from our executive, executive director, Nick McKinley. He was all like, can I have a call with you? I have a, a possible job opportunity. Wow. I'm like, okay, weirdo. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it doesn't involve changing diapers or yeah. investigating <laughs> <Right>? Disney stars. <laughs> I looked into him and I'm like, okay, he's not lying. It's a real nonprofit. And I thought, I'm like, oh, so human trafficking. And I didn't even know the scale mm -hmm. of what human trafficking was then. I was like, are we talking about like truck stops? Right. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like, sure, I'll fight trafficking. That's bad. And then I didn't even know the scale of it at that point in time. Um, and so Nick gave me a call over the phone and he's all like, do you want to hunt human traffickers? I'm like, hell yes, I want to hunt human traffickers. Yeah. <laughs> And, um, you know, that that's where it started. And now it will be four years in October um, wow. working for Deliver Fund. And how long when you got into it, how long did it take for you to realize the scale of what you were up against? It took several 
several months. It took me about six months to truly understand what was going on. Yeah. And I think understanding what the problem is, one, you have to get over the fact that, you know, this isn't something that um, like you, you're like, you, you know, you know, the world you live in, right? You're mm -hmm. comfortable, you know, where your threats are, you know, you know, like gangs, and you know, you know, the criminals in your neighborhood and all these things, but then you have to get over the discomfort of understanding what exactly is happening behind closed doors in hotel rooms every day that could be just down the street. Right. And so you start seeing the world differently and you start seeing things differently um, and you get over that, but then you have to learn how it's happening and the manipulation techniques of how it's happening. You have to know thy enemy, right? Mm -hmm. You have to know, um, you know who you're dealing with in order to go after them. And then when I started following um, these traffickers on social media, um, you know, it really was an eye-opening experience. And then when I started riding along with law enforcement into the worst neighborhoods in the country, um, you know, I was vested up and they're in the front seats mm -hmm. and they're running sting ops and I'm sitting there with my computer. <laughs> <laughs> Checking Facebook, <laughs> okay. right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly, though. I'm all like, Liking okay, their so, profile. Yeah, they're yeah. still here. So it's like, I was like, yeah, so this person, you know, they went to this high school and I think this person, you know, might have a kid, you know, wow, giving right. them information wow. so I can better equip them during the operation. Yeah. And, you know, the law enforcement officers are pulling their guns when anybody is walking by. And I'm like sitting there and I'm like, this is more dangerous than Iraq or Afghanistan. Right. <laughs> like wow. I am yeah. literally in more mortal danger than I've mm -hmm. ever been in my life in my own country. Yeah. An um, hour from my house. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, learning and adapting that and your, your brain changes when you understand what you're up against. And I, it took me several, several months to really understand what was going on and um, how we could fight it. And it's constantly changing as well. So, you know, traffickers adapt. So COVID happened, right? What did they do? We had to figure out how they were adapting, how they were marketing their victims, pushing mm -hmm. them to cam video sites and the traffickers that were like, well, if guys aren't going to be ordering them offline because they're not going to like call somebody or go to a hotel because of COVID, they're going to push them onto the track. And then mm -hmm. they move them to different parts of the country where the tracks are more prevalent and bigger and where they can make the money or where law enforcement's not being as active because of COVID restrictions. Right. right? So yeah, that must have been a big part following and understanding that and reporting it from what we see on the digital level. So law enforcement's better equipped on the ground to, you know, deal with what is going on. So are those things that you, uh, Oh man, I was like, I was so ready to ask a certain question, but then you said that and I was like, <laughs> I have yeah. to follow this now. Uh, are those, uh, so, are, so are you guys like seeing like hotspots and then being able to like call someone and go, Hey guys, everyone's going to Albany right now. Like you guys really need to watch that. Yeah, you can see that happening. Absolutely. And then when law enforcement comes back and something has happened, you know, you ask the atmospherics from the um, from the interviews they have. And like, I had one law enforcement officer say to me, because I said to her, because of where she was, I was all like, is it worse where you are right now? Because I feel like and I'm watching they're all moving into their area. And she's like, yes, they came from this different state. And they came here because other traffickers told them this is where the money was. And I'm wow. like, well, that proved my theory. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel so, it seems like a lot of them? I'm sorry. What sorry. was that? Oh, I was, Do you feel helpless at times? 
like being able to see what's going on, but not being able to karate chop someone in the dick or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's something I learned very early on as an intelligence analyst that like you get intelligence, you formulate it, you present it to the action arm, and then you have to detach yourself. Um, You don't get to deal with the outcome. You have to go, okay, here you go. I've done everything that I can. And then you walk away from it. Uh, So for the most part, I try not to feel helpless. Uh, But sometimes there's situations that are completely beyond anybody's control, including law enforcement. There's a 15-year-old victim that I had been following for months, and law enforcement was finally able to go rescue her. She ran away, and I kept following her. Law enforcement, again, goes and rescues her. Like Stockholm Syndrome. Mm -hmm. Because she's a minor she they can't they couldn't detain her specifically and they had to hand her back over to her her grandmother um and she kept running away and literally law enforcement was doing everything in their power including going after their trafficker but because the group was kind of like widespread and there was more than one trafficker she kept going back to like different people Mm -hmm. within the group and you know i saw her deteriorate i watched her you know no tattoos or anything turned into you know big old branding tattoo on her neck the next day Mm, a couple weeks later one on her chest and then she's pregnant and then she has a miscarriage and i'm following her life and i'm just like I've done everything that I can, but sometimes there's nothing you really can do in certain situations like that. Yeah. You can only work. So you can only work within the confines within the law. So Mm -hmm. if someone's just running away and keep going back, I guess that must be a really hard thing to deal with. But do you find that there are some agencies like, like you said, there's some of these hotspots that maybe are popping up where, there, the other traffickers are communicating and saying that, you know, this is the spot. This is where it's easier to get away with this. Do you find that they're like less willing to work with you guys or they're just ignoring the problem? Or why do you think that is? It's the problem just so large scale where they're at and they don't have the dedicated funding nor do they have the legislation behind them to attack right. it at scale. Um, sorry, my dog is whining because, you know, <laughs> COVID at home. Right. Uh, you know, so, so they're trying to attack it at scale. And it's hard to do when you don't have the legislation behind you, when you don't have the prosecutors behind you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it depends on the state and where they're at. I mean, it's not that law enforcement doesn't want to go after these guys, because believe me, every single one For that sure. I've ever met wants to. It's, you know, that just the processes of which they have to follow. And sometimes they're not able to do it at the scale that they want to. Deliver Fund is everything possible to assist them and provide that intelligence. But sometimes you hit certain roadblocks. Mm. I feel like someday, because of the work you're doing, there's going to be a Law and Order spinoff, and <laughs> it's going to show you like typing shit and being like, "Go get them," and then they're going to Ice T will be running down people, and it's going to be so <laughs> exaggerated. But there will be that will be a department in every single city, and people are going to be like, "Thank God, Kara Smith, you did this for us," and that's really cool. <laughs> that would be uh, awesome. I, you can get your My- credits at least. My ultimate goal would to be have analysts put in with departments all over the country sure. that are trained by Deliver Fund um, yeah. and working with Deliver Fund because we also have technology where we break down those silos. We have a platform called PATH, which is the platform for analysis of targeting human traffickers, which lays on a data lake of human trafficking intelligence. And so 
which is like the largest in the country and it's only accessible by law enforcement and analysts. And so if you have a case pop up and they're doing like operations in like Tampa per se, right? Mm -hmm. And they're entering the data and the information and it pops up um, and it might say, oh my gosh, this is already a case in Houston. And then you can put them together so they could work together and get the detectives together. And, and in, we've had it happen now many, many times where that happens. And so the cases, they collaborate across jurisdictions and then um, they're able to get federal charges as well, which is always wow. good. And so, yeah. So, so Ryan and I both have four-year-old daughters. Mm -hmm. What is the number one thing we can do to protect them? When your daughters get older, and old enough to understand, um, you know, the threats of what human trafficking is. And I'm talking approximately middle school age when they start really getting really interested in boys um, or in any kind of love interest, right? Mm -hmm. They need to know that there are people out there, there are strangers out there that will try to get their attention and manipulate them and lure them away. So mm -hmm. even at a younger age, teaching them that stranger danger about internet, Definitely. about the connections that you can make, about talking to people on online games and different things. And uh, really, you know, explaining to them that one, if you're talking to somebody you don't know, then you shouldn't be talking to them. And if somebody offers you something and it's too good to be true, then yeah, it's too good to be is. true and back away. Like. You remember when you were kids, right? And your parents always told you never to open the door to strangers, mm -hmm. right? They're like, yeah, don't definitely. open the door to stranger. Well, mm -hmm. I mean, this is your new front door. Right. And so you have to treat it as such and teach your children as such that, you know, that is, that's where the threat is going to be. It's so difficult trying to find that. Um, I want to teach my daughter to be kind to everyone, right? But also to avoid strangers makes it uh, a weird combination. Um, like yesterday, we were at the park and there was a guy sitting on a bench. Uh, and I realized, like, I was like, I don't think any of these kids are with him. He had a hat on and a hoodie and glasses. And it just, like, kind of weirded me out a little bit. And he walked to his car and was, like, looking around. And I was like, I think we should switch parks just because I got uncomfortable in that situation, even though, like, I'm watching mm -hmm. both of my kids. Um, but my daughter is so like, you know, an adult walks by and she goes, hi. And she waves people as they drive mm -hmm. down the street and everything. Uh, like, how do you walk that like fine line? Like, what do you, what do you tell your kids about that? There's, I, I tell my children that if you don't know somebody and they want to speak to you, you need to go ask somebody that you trust as an adult if it's mm -hmm. okay first. Mm. Um, you know, th there's nothing wrong with being kind and saying like a greeting on the street and say hello. But if somebody that tries to strike up a conversation, yeah. they're a stranger. You don't especially need to talk much to older. Exactly. Like it's fine when you're at the park and they're playing with other kids. But if if an older child, like I'm talking older, like 12, 13 year old kids, you know, the punks that hang around the park, they're not supposed to be there one. I tell my kids, you don't need to go talk to them. And if there's mm -hmm. adults in the park, I'm I'm very much give them their space. They're just trying to have a good day too. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, you know, give everybody their privacy and their space. And you know, they're playing on their own. I'm like, that's their own frisbee game. Don't get involved with that. Yeah. How, um, how old are your you kids? Know, I'm I'm not going to mention that publicly. Oh no worries. I do, 
I do specifically protect the ages of, For my, sure. of my kiddos. But, um, you know, like I'm learning more and more as they get smarter and as they get older, um, especially like technology as well. They're, they're going to outpace you mm-hmm. in technology. Um, even me, I'm really technologically advanced. And I came in the other day to speak to somebody over a video chat. And my child had put a bunch of filters on Zoom. Really? No. <laughs> and, and I didn't know exactly where to go to get rid of it because how he put it up. And I'm like, I'm like, I've been on Zoom for a year and I don't know how to figure this out. <laughs> and you zebras behind you and you're trying to have a conversation you're in Hawaii with now. Joe Biden. Yeah. And- yeah. yeah. And you know, it's the cat face. Right, oh right. You can't get out of the cat face like that. <laughs> <laughs> they're going, they're going to outpace you in technology and having access to all their technology and make that a normalization when they're young. You should be able to walk by, pick up their stuff, and just start looking at it. Sure. You should have their passwords. You should have access into their direct messages, and mm-hmm. that's going to be something if you start young that they understand that I have access to everything when they're five or six. When you start giving them those tablets and things that it will grow because mm-hmm. when they're 14 or 15, be like, hand me your phone real quick. Let me see it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, by the way, I put your Instagram account on my Instagram account. Mm-hmm. That's just how it's going to be. If somebody's yeah. going to slide into your DMs, I'm going to have that conversation. Right. Yeah, totally. You know, be be bold about it. You know, you you pay for that cell phone. You're in charge of it. That's right. <laughs> That's what I, I like tell it. parents. I like it. So until, when, until when your you, kid becomes an influencer and makes two million dollars a month on YouTube, <laughs> and they're like, "I pay for the cell phone, Dad." So right, right. My kids ask for a YouTube channel like on a daily basis, and I'm like, "No, nope. really, <laughs> yeah, like absolutely not." <laughs> so know, when you were when you were a kid growing up, what was your dream to grow up in? Like, what was your mm-hmm. career aspirations as you were growing up, and how did you end up getting into intelligence? So my career aspirations were to be um, in acting. I wanted to be an actress. I was a drama nerd in high school. Um, nice. I can't sing. And so <laughs> um, the way that I was raised was like, you make money or you don't survive in life. So if you're mm-hmm. not going to be able to go be an actress and make money, you need to figure out how you're going to survive. Uh, when it came to joining the military and being in intelligence, uh, my older brother, was in the military. And I also didn't want to pay to, for college when I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm going into the Air Force straight out of high school. But mm-hmm. I was very much like, I want to do something that I would like to do. And intelligence was the career field for me. And so I got an intelligence job. Wow. And then as you, then as you went into the intelligence job, it sounds like you kind of just found your career path just by making connections and figuring out who, I guess, what excited you. I mean, what, you know, is I'm sure intelligence is a broad spectrum, right? There's probably, mm-hmm. I can't even probably even name how many different types of intelligence there is, but you just found that path just because it was interesting and you stuck to it. Yeah, I have. So the SIGINT path that I was in, um, first I went to school for Morse code. So weird really? fact about me is that I went to school for Morse code and then I went to school for signals and it was really boring. And when I mean signals, <laughs> I mean like electronic singles, signals with like oscopes and measuring and breaking yeah. them down and finding the hidden that like codes in them, right? Sounds like magic um, to me. 
the next two minutes of this podcast in Morse code and just see how many listeners we lose. <laughs> I, I hated what I was doing. And so I volunteered to go to Iraq and um, I volunteered in a position. A lot. Yeah. You don't normally hear that. Um, I was doing all source intelligence analysts for um, Shia militia in, in Baghdad at multinational forces, Iraq level. So I was doing uh, like intelligence gathering at a really high level. Um, about bad guys in Iraq shooting rockets at us, right? Mm-hmm. And I very much was like, I like that. I like taking the different information. I like taking the all source of mm-hmm. this and um, doing that. And so it's hard to like make your career do what you wanted to do in the military, but I somehow got myself moved to the NSA. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I basically am like, well, I want to do this. And they're like, you know, it's career suicide. And I'm like, I don't plan on staying in much longer. Yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs> I, I got I got the tools and the ability and all the training. And I'm like, yep, this is what I want to do. I want to So you got the, the key card. You're like walking into the side of the mountain and you're like deep <laughs> 500 feet underground in this giant. This is what I'm picturing here. Giant room of computers. There's screens. There's there's maps mm-hmm. going on. And she's dressed, as Laura, what you had? she's dressed as Laura Croft Tomb Raider. Yeah, she, she <laughs> I wish the basement of the NSA is dark and smelly and boring, but um, <laughs> there's Doritos like, piled up next to the computers <laughs> with like ancient, like terminal computers that we had. And they took 20 minutes to log into. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. It's like the UPS <laughs> store. Like when I was in Afghanistan too, like we were in an old Russian building and, um, I remember the first day that I sat down in Afghanistan and I'm logging into the computer and it was like ceiling tiles up there and I'm sitting there and translucent baby geckos start dropping onto my keyboard out of the ceiling. Whoa. And I'm like, you don't have a security clearance to be in here. <laughs> I'm like, this is going to be an interesting deployment. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, did uh, I imagine you were a good kid growing up if, your life goal is to catch bad people. I I was a pretty good kid. Um, I, I pushed my limits. I thankfully didn't die or get put in jail, nor did my parents know what I was doing half the time. <laughs> um, but I, I credit my, my straight and narrow kind of thing in life as a child because the way my parents raised me, which was from when I was little, was very much understand the consequences of your actions. And then decide if you're going to do it. So like as a teenager, my dad, like, I'd be like, I want to go to this party. And he's like, if you drink and drive, you can die and you'd be put in jail. And if that happens, we're not bailing you out. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I guess I won't be drinking at this party. Yeah, or, right. you know, it's like, you're old enough to be, get pregnant at this point in time. If you get pregnant, we're not raising that child and we will be kicking you out. Have a good time. Like he would right. give me the worst case scenario and make me think about it. And it's like, am I going to go risk it? So and it of sounds course, like that kind time, of advice really stuck to you. And really, I mean, because I mean, I could imagine there's a lot of kids that that might not work on, but it worked for you. It did. It's very much. But and, and, and I will say I was very much and I still am. I need to learn by my own experience. And so I pushed those boundaries and I saw how close I was sometimes to getting into a lot of trouble or getting extremely hurt or, you know, mm-hmm. antagonizing those boys. And I walk out to my car and there's a big rock in the windshield from bullies or something. Mm. I'm like, 
well, what do I tell my dad? Where was I? What was I doing? Where was I at? Like, oh no, it would have just been better if I never showed up at all. So, you know, next time not showing up, you know? Yeah. That's actually something they teach uh, addicts is to go through the scenario of what, where, where would this lead? If you, if you decide to have a drink right now, what's going to happen? Like, what's the, Mm -hmm. you know, what's the possible path? And so doing that parenting, I, I guess I could see working. Do, do you think that if you did get pregnant, they would have actually kicked you out? Yep. Yeah. I guarantee mm. you they would have. Really? I was watching I Unexpected on MTV it. last night. And there was there, <laughs> that was a scenario. Like this girl's mom was like, no, I told you you're out. And so she was living with her 16-year-old boyfriend and his parents. And it's, it's so interesting to, uh, I don't know. I guess yeah. they, I, well, they no, held I it mean, up. I, I, that form of parenting goes with my children every single day. I'm like, do you really want to climb up on the counter like that? You fall over and mm-hmm. you break your head. And then we go to the hospital and guess what? Then you get shots and then yeah. they're like, mm. and then they get down. Uh-huh. You just keep going the until they get it. Yeah. <laughs> I do. And it <laughs> they, works. They get shots. They don't care. You're like, and then I throw away all your toys. And they're like, all right, all right. I'll all get right, you. All right. <laughs> my daughter pushed me once. So she faked a broken arm when she uh, fell on Ooh. her bike. And I... She, she was crying and screaming and I was carrying her bike on my shoulders while I was riding my own bike and she's walking next to me, holding her arm and I'm like, you know, this is weird. And I, I bring her into the house and she just wouldn't stop crying. And I'm like, you know, like if we go to go to the doctors, you might have to end up getting shots. We, you know, like, are you sure you're okay? And she played it through all the way. Wow. We get to the doctor. She lifts her arm up and she throws it up onto the. Oh <laughs> yeah! And I'm looking at her. Didn't and think like, that far, huh? <laughs> I'm like, you didn't. I'm like, did you just? Did, did you? She pushed me all the way through. Right. <laughs> oh my Man. god! I'm yeah. in so much trouble. <laughs> was she? Did you? Did she get in trouble for that? Like, what was the what was the punishment for that? You're like, give her shots anyways. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right. Uh, you know, I, I don't really think I punished her on that one. Yeah. Um, but I told her, you know, the whole story of the boy who cries wolf. Sure. And I'm yeah. like, you keep doing that. You're going to be really hurt someday. And I'm just not going to believe you. And that's not going to be good. So yeah. no more incidences since, but like with yeah. my, my own father, I asked the other day and I'm like, was that me? Like, was I that bad? Was I mm-hmm. that sassy? Was I that? Mm-hmm. Was, is that he's like, that's you, but she's more intelligent. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> <Damn it. laughs> you think you're into intelligence. Look at, yeah. your, look at your daughter. What do your I'm parents think of uh, where, what you're doing now? I mean, are they, they must be, I mean, first of all, do they do anything similar? Are they, were they in the military? Did they do any type of tech work or? My parents are old ski bumps. <laughs> um, <laughs> They, they never did anything like that. Um, you know, my dad and my mom had always have always been in the ski industry. They're retired now. Uh, my dad, you know, started businesses. They worked in the restaurant industry a lot because if you work in the ski industry, you also work in the restaurant right. industry in the summer. Uh, they're, they're really proud of me. I know that. And um, I, I couldn't do what I do without them because they're retired and they help me out with my kids a lot. Sure. Um, but like, they think it's really cool. And I, I think that I get 
my work ethic from them a hundred percent. And I mean, mm -hmm. that started when I was 12 and they're like, congratulations, you could get a work permit in California. You get the bus tables now. Yeah. <laughs> you can pay your own clothes. And so it started. Happy birthday. You're now. a woman. Here's a yeah. job. <laughs> Pretty much. And so, I mean, I've been working since I was 12 and following my parents' work ethics and their dedication to, you know, um, surviving and creating a life and mm -hmm. doing whatever they need to do in order to live their life possible that they they want to live and um, i mean if it wasn't for them i wouldn't be here today that's for sure yeah do you think it's really important that they didn't hand you anything without you earning it yes i mean yeah. I, my parents didn't even pay for a tank of gas when i was in high school <laughs> Like, yeah, because I mean, I, you know the struggle. Like, it, I mean, I remember the struggle of trying to save money for the first car, you know, and all. The, and I, I really thank my parents for doing that for me. It's not that they didn't have the money per se, but it was like you're 16, get a job, you're gonna pay for whatever stuff you want. And I lived close enough to where I could skateboard or bike or go to school without getting a ride, so it wasn't necessary that I had it. But to get it, I had to earn it. And there were a lot of people that I grew up with that, you know, it, it was easier for him to get that stuff. But I think I took a little bit of that work ethic from it. And it sounds like the same thing happened for you. Yeah. You know, my parents were always very much like, well, you make money, you can pay for it. Um, and like, we're here for you. We're here to support you and put you in the direction you want to go to, but you need to do it on your own. And I mean, the one thing is they did get me my first car. Mm hmm. They sold it to me with 4% right. interest. They were my banker. <laughs> yeah. No joke. He taught me the lesson of interest and he uh -huh. made money off of me. <laughs> they, report, they, report, they report you to a credit agency. They're like, Kara <laughs> hasn't paid this month. Yeah, she's up. defaulted. You know, uh, I was really into sports when I was a kid. And I remember my parents put me on my first cross country meet when I was in kindergarten. And they had like a little like. Um, like half mile run for kindergartners yeah. for cross country and the very first meet we showed up there and I, I remember it like it was one of my very first vivid memories and my my dad was like you run as fast as you can as hard as you can until you can't run anymore and when you fall down I'll be there to pick you up mm. and he's literally done that for me my entire life he lets me go out there and go as hard as I can make the most stupid mistakes you can make and then when I turn to him and I'm like I'm broken he's like all right Let's get you back up. Let you get yeah. you back moving, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's what I take away from my dad and what I will always, always offer to my own children, right? Like mm -hmm. you're there to guide your children. You're not there to be their very best friends. You're there to give them the best opportunity you could give them with the means that like you have, but you want them to grow into responsible, self-sufficient adults that give back to society, even if it's just saying hello to that stranger in the park, right? Mm -hmm. So um, in, in order to do that properly, you just can't hand them everything, even though I know you you two have little girls right now and mm -hmm. uh, they have you wrapped around. Yeah, it's pretty tough right now. <laughs> we were in CVS the other day and she just saw a stuffed animal. She's like, hey, I really want that. I'm like, I don't know. You know, we, you have a lot at home. And she was like, but I would love it. And I would care for it and I would pet it and I would feed it. And I was like, well, I guess we're getting this, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's the hard part, right? Yeah. It's when do you, when do you, you know, teach them? Like, cause we obviously have the means to just buy the five ninety nine, mm -hmm. like stuffy. It's yeah, CBS, it's but CBS it's like, stuffy. do you, do you really need it? And mm -hmm. you know, that that's another thing my parents always taught me. 
um, is, do you want it, but do you really need it? Which might have been to the detriment to a detriment because I've been extremely frugal my entire life (laughs) with that. And it's sometimes okay to, you know, go ahead and get that stuffy. (laughs) Right. Did, was, is there a time in, in uh, your teenage years that you really felt your dad needed to rescue you and that he did? In my teenage years, when you're a, female teenager and you're hormonal nobody can do anything for you (laughs) (laughs) i'm so scared for those years i am so scared there were times like when things happened that i could not fix like boys threw a rock through my windshield of my car Mm -hmm. what what what, i called my dad to bully you they one of them liked me and i I purposely oh, they did, did a really good job by showing you. Off. <laughs> they did because I knew they liked me, but they were mm-hmm. being jerks about it. So, you know, made out with another cute guy at the party and I come mm-hmm. out and there's a rock in my windshield. Ooh. I'm like, oh, well, I guess that worked. The party you um, were supposed to be at. Yeah. <laughs> right. Where where I shouldn't have been at, where I shouldn't have been doing certain things. at your things. friend's house. And... <laughs> exactly. And I had to call my dad. Because I was like, Dad, there's a rock through my windshield. What do I do? And he was a general manager of food and beverage at a ski area at the time. And I drove my car up there and we covered the windshield because it was snowing out. And I'm like, oh, Mm. man. You know, like. And you're like, just to kiss David. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, so like there was things where he would he would save me where I needed to be saved. Um, but he very much let me go out and make my own mistakes for sure. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure and you had to pay to fix that window. I did. My insurance paid for it because I had insurance and then mm-hmm. my insurance premiums went up. So therefore yeah. I had to pay more insurance because there was a rock. through my <laughs> <laughs> I have an interesting question for you. So this is something that I've been kind of thinking about lately. Um, everybody wants to live a meaningful life. You know, everybody wants to feel like what they did made a, like maybe a lasting impact and everything. Does that kind of factor into what you do? I mean, is it, do you want to make sure that what you're doing has an impact and has meaning long lasting effects? Absolutely. Um, I think that like with everybody in life, they do want to leave some kind of impact. They do want to leave some kind of legacy. And, and it's important that when you're doing that, um, not to obsess over it mm-hmm. because you're not going to know about it and how it's happening when you're dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So enjoy what you're doing when you're doing it and do the best you can to contribute to that impact that you want to make. Like and the way to do that is doing something that you love to do. Because if you're not loving what you're doing, then you're not having the most significant impact and that's on yourself, right? Right, right. And to live that good, happy, full life, especially if you have children, right? That's the biggest impact you can ever make. Show your children how to live a happy, healthy life. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. For your kids, if if your kids were like, I want to be a DJ mom. (laughs) is that is that like a okay well djs make this amount of money um but if that makes you happy then then that's you can you support yourself if that's what makes you happy that's Mm -hmm. great you're contributing to society because djs make people happy all night long 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right? I like right? it. Until the next morning when your head's pounding to the beat yeah. of, of whatever that was. Right. Exactly. In Vegas. <laughs> regretting right. You're like, why? <laughs> right, if only his right? mom made him go to college. But, you know, like when my kids, like, you know, if they don't want to work in law enforcement, if they don't want to work in the military, that's fine, you know? But, like, if they want to be dog walkers, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Like, if you can support yourself and sustain yourself and, you know, live a happy, healthy life, then go for it. Right. Like, yeah, that's why we live in the United States. That's, yeah, I mean, definitely. that's, that's our right. So let's go, go ahead and do it. Go be whatever you want to be when you grow up, as long as you know, you, you love what you're doing um, and you're being pr a productive member of society. Right. For sure. How do you feel about people posting pictures of their children on all over social media? That's a, you know, that's a personal choice if you want to do it. Um, some people are very much against it because, you know, it, their children aren't, you know, giving them the right to do it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's that aspect of it. Um, but then also there's the aspect of people who are doing it and it's public and predators mm -hmm. can definitely target that. Yeah. Um, then there's people who, you know, they keep their social media very locked up to specific friends and family. Um, and I think that's a great way to use. That's one of the good things about social media mm -hmm. is that the family can see those children. And if you keep it locked up and you keep it safe, you know, those parameters, it's it's very much a personal choice. Um, I personally don't think it's OK to, you know, mm -hmm. push your kid out there and push them into the influencer world. Right. Um, or create their own profile for them without them even knowing. That's always been kind of a weird one for me when yeah. they have their own thing and the parents kind of control their, you know, all of their pictures. And they're mm -hmm. trying to purposely kind of build their almost like a little brand in a way. Who, who they, do we have here? Are. Yeah. Who this do we have Izzy, here? I'm sorry. She's she is barking and screaming. And she I'm is welcome on the podcast anytime. Yes. yes. This, this is, is, she, is, it, is she a pug? She is my pug. Oh, I had we had two, <laughs> I had two pugs old. growing up. I have a Shih Tzu now. Ryan has dog. We have dogs, cats, kids. I mean, it's not. Yeah. It's the whole full house. It's it's a whole zoo. And um, in the time in the world where we're all talking via screens, like it's this <laughs> time of day, she barks and yells until she gets what she wants. So if you've heard that earlier, I'm very yeah. sorry. <laughs> now, I, now I have silenced her. Um, it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, like, let's wrap this up because she needs dinner. Let's see. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what she's saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, I'm I'm also an intelligent, <laughs> just only when it comes to pugs. <laughs> yes. Yes. They're they're a interesting breed. <laughs> Everybody's uh, like, she has a pug. Shouldn't she have like a Malmois or a German yeah, Shepherd? Yeah, like a Rottweiler or something. Yeah, you know, this is one of those things, a dog that's brought into your life 10 years ago uh, against mm -hmm. like, hey, I never would have gotten that dog. And you just kind of you do the right thing and you keep him around. Yeah, <laughs> so. do the right thing, you keep him around. You, you kick the guy who got you the dog to the curb, but you keep the dog around. <laughs> exactly right. But I, I mean, I'll, now I don't know how I've lived without her. She is she's a good dog. <laughs> For sure. Is there uh we, we just have a couple more questions. We super appreciate you being with us today. Mm -hmm. um, do, is there is there something that your parents did growing up and, and that you specifically did not want to do with your kids? Um, my my parents um, generationally 
um, are very much like they were like the flower children era. And mm -hmm. I was growing up in the late eighties and the nineties and two thousands. And I just felt like my mom wasn't in touch with my culture whatsoever. Neither was my dad. Like they didn't get it. They didn't get how cool things were and how important things were to me. And so like trying to keep up with where my kids are and what they're doing in, in a space wise way, like I'm not going to like come start dressing like them or anything, but right. um, <laughs> I'm not going to ignore you know, the, the fact that like they are going to be interested in different things and I'm going to like try to take an interest in them. Yeah, um, definitely. Like, hey, I got also, a Beyonce tattoo on my arm. Hey guys. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, something my parents did that I, you know, splurging. My parents were really cheap. Like they sometimes did not like get me those things, right? Mm -hmm. I very much, if I have the means to spoil them, I will spoil them. Yeah. Uh, I don't think, I think it's because my parents just never had the means to yeah, really right. spoil me. Uh, that for sure. We spoil never them a little bit, but still let them understand the struggle of earning kind of like what you were saying earlier, uh, mm -hmm. letting them learn that they can earn stuff as well. If they really want something that they can work for it. Exactly. And then I, I also think that, um, I also think that, you know, like with my parents, they just, they love me very much. Um, but like when it came to setting them up for success for college, like mm -hmm. for me or and for my older brother, like they didn't go to college, so they didn't get that. And so I had the brains, but I didn't have the ability. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And we you, are going to be interrupted by children here any minute. <laughs> okay, I'll wrap it up. I'll wrap it up with the last Perfect. two questions. Uh, I have a million more for you. So I hope that you come back and talk to us again someday. Absolutely. We would super love that. That'd be great. Um, what is your favorite uh, dad joke? It is my dad's dad joke that he yep. tells probably three times a week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> As every good dad joke is told. Yes. Yep. Um, what did the tomato say who couldn't catch up? What? He was really stewed. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I, I would love to see someone work that into conversation three times a week. Yeah. <laughs> How does that even come up? <laughs> he uh, figures I, it out some hey way. Hey, Dad, somehow. I'm making soup tonight. And he's like, so oh, anytime, this is my time. <laughs> anytime tomatoes or ketchup are like, around it gets brought up like three times a week he just puts it out on the counter just so it can be brought up uh, and he laughs at himself and it's like yeah. I think uh, it's hilarious. The, the final question we let all of our guests name their own podcast episode so what would you like this episode to be named oh man i don't know that's really hard you guys <laughs> um I'm going to call it nerdy Laura Croft if you don't come up with something. You can go right ahead. That's fine. Like, literally, I can't do that. You can't get me on the topic. If you right. would have told me. Uh -huh. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you what, Cara. We're definitely going to shout out to Liver Fun. Um, I want to make sure we link, obviously, to the website where they can donate. And I, we are huge supporters of what you do. And I'm really happy that we reached out to you. And we had a, a great time talking to you. And yeah, if you're ever willing to come back and talk to us again, sometime in the future and update us on the status of the world right now you know in this in this whole human trafficking space i really appreciate you two having me on it was a lot of fun
That was Kara Smith, everybody. Kara Smith, man, what scary statistics she has about what's going on in the it's United so States. It's scary to me. Like I, I like to think, I don't like to think, I guess I just assume that my kids are safe. Yeah. I, you think about some of the stuff she was um, saying and some of the topics she brought up. And it makes you think like, oh, that was in the 70s or the 80s that people really had to worry about this yeah. stuff. But oh, that was on TV. That was yeah. Real. Or but now it, it's happening now, probably worse than ever in a lot of ways. Way worse than ever with the. Internet. Yeah. So uh, please check out Deliver Fund. Donate if you can educate your kids or your friends who have kids uh, and be careful yourself. You know? Yeah, definitely. De and monitor who they're talking to online. For sure. sure. Uh, if you enjoyed and you have not subscribed yet, please subscribe to Raising Dads wherever. Leave wherever a review. Leave a review. Yeah, you got to leave yeah. a review. Leave Give a us review. five stars if you mm -hmm. love us. Mm -hmm. and Six if you love us extra. Yeah, if you want to get a little bit more action of this, then give us a review and we'll keep okay. it coming. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys next time. Peace. Mom's mad. Sorry, Daddy. What the heck? Thanks for listening. Thank you, bye. Subscribe and download. Subscribe and download. Hey, poopy poop. Where you, Dad?